is Justin Trippity of Sirius XM NBA Radio. And if you're not listening to me and Eddie Johnson on NBA Today, then you've got to be listening to The Bridge with John Long. Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. It's time to put a cap on the month or so of goings on in the NBA. We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On episode 117 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America here on Wednesday, July 18th, 2018, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America Monday through Friday with a brand new show on Wednesday nights on the East Coast, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available after that broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show later on Wednesday night. On iTunes or Google Podcasts under the Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, loyal listeners to this show know that we usually transition into a couple of segments before getting into the interview with this week's guest and closing out the show. Well, it's time to change things up. Oh, say change it up. Change it up. We'll still close out the show with a movie review this week with the film The First Purge. But first, let's get down to business. This week's guest is Justin Termini, friend of the show and host along with Eddie Johnson of NBA Today on Sirius XM NBA Radio, Sirius 207 XM 86, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 Eastern Time. You can also find previous shows with Justin about his career covering the NBA and other thoughts on the league under the Best of the Bridge tab at LondonBridge.com or on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Justin is one of the best at covering the NBA and one of the best guests we're fortunate enough to have on this show. And since he wasn't glued to the MLB All-Star Game Tuesday night, what better way to put a cap on all NBA news and notes that has come from the end of the finals before our focuses shift to baseball in the National Football League than with chatting with him. We'll talk Summer League and what goes on behind the scenes in Las Vegas while covering it, some of the young players to watch for in 2018, and some of the interviews conducted on NBA Today during that week. LeBron James taking his talents to the Los Angeles Lakers and the construction of that team, supposedly that can beat the Warriors. 
what should happen with Kawhi Leonard since this was recorded mere hours before he was officially traded to Toronto, of course. What team can make a run in the East and early predictions for this upcoming season? You can follow Justin on Twitter. He's at Termini Radio. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-E-R-A-D-I-O. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Justin Termini. He is the host, along with Eddie Johnson of NBA Today on Sirius XM, NBA Radio, Sirius 207, XM 86, Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. Justin, thanks for making, I guess, your biannual appearance now on the show. How you been? Well, I'm not happy about doing it, John, but uh, we'll get it out of the way, uh, and then I can relax the rest of the summer so I don't have to do it again uh, for a couple months. That is a good point. Well, when exciting things happen, I like to reach out to you, and fortunately, you were able and kind enough to come on programs that you and I both get paid for, at least for the company we both get paid for in SiriusXM. This is pro bono. So I do appreciate, again, more time with you giving me your wisdom. Finally, some rest and relaxation is on the way. Even though I was pulling you away from the MLB All-Star game, we can hopefully have some fun. Speaking of work... i got to interrupt you for a second. I'm doing this for free. I didn't realize this was pro bono, so... Uh, I might uh, I might have to hang up on you. I didn't realize I was doing this without compensation. Well, we can put it this way. Since you missed Falcon 3, you let me know, and I'll get you a beer on behalf of Mike Babchek and the crew when we can, when both of us are not working in the city. That sounds good, at least. Yeah, now I'll stay. Now I can give you Perfect. a couple of minutes since I'm going to be compensated with some alcohol. Absolutely. I can make that happen. I'll just put it on the tab. Even though I have about less than six months with SiriusXM, I'm sure they'll compensate us quite handily <laughs> for something like that. So Las Vegas, not for pleasure. Well, some might view it as that. You haven't missed a day of work in like two decades. So there is a little pleasure of doing work for yourself. But having to go to Las Vegas for the Summer League, an annual tradition of sorts for SiriusXM and NBA Radio, something that is fun for some, long hours, but you do get to see a first look of sorts of some of the rookies and younger players that we'll be seeing in the 2018-2019 season. I guess before getting to the fun stuff, I can ask what you look for when you go to Summer League. I know it's not necessarily some of the highest talent, but there are some glimpses of what we could see in future years talent-wise. Is there anything particular you're looking for when you go to Summer League? I'm looking for a good meal uh, because, to be honest with you, like we sit in the back, so we don't have a great view of what's going out on the floor. So, like, I'm looking as Mark Cuban walks by. We pull him aside, Ty Lu, uh, who we had on this uh, this past week as well, which is a big guest because we were actually the first people to interview him after we had breakfast with Luke Walton to go over what it's like to coach LeBron. So that was the first conversation immediately following that. He walked right into the arena, and we got him immediately after he walked in. I don't watch many of the games. I get to look at a couple of different things. And I don't necessarily look at the guys that perform well. Uh, and uh, again, uh, Mitchell Robinson for the New York Knicks, who went 36 overall, performed well. You don't really pay too much attention to that because in past years, you've had guys like Marcus Banks have a 42-point game. Uh, you've had Glenn Robinson the third, who has won the MVP. Tyus Jones won the MVP. And then they really haven't amounted to much in the NBA. Uh, so I don't look for guys that necessarily perform well. I think more of an indicator is guys that perform poorly, guys that were picked high that don't necessarily have that first step. And if they don't have that first step going against people at Summer League, certainly when the game speeds up even more at the, uh, at the NBA level during the 
regular season, you've got to be a little bit more concerned. So I think if you go there and you watch everybody perform, you don't you take great performances with a grain of salt. You get a little bit concerned with the people who can't perform. For instance, Trey Young did look great at Summer League. That might be a little bit of a concern for Atlanta heading into the regular season. So I can't get excited that, at least at this recording, the Los Angeles Lakers are going for their repeat of the Summer League Championship. Josh Hart named the MVP. That shouldn't excite me, is what you're saying? No, I mean, I think it's good to like build team camaraderie and show teams how to win and, <laughs> and play together. I think that's fun. It gives you some good momentum. But as far as like individual performers, uh, I wouldn't get too excited about it because, again, the NBA game is just so much different than the regular season. Uh, for the, the NBA game is so much different than the, the summer league. For example, like with Luka Doncic, he didn't play in the, in the summer league. But that's like they'll say that that's like triple A. Whereas summer league is is almost kind of like uh, double A, so, you know. So he, what he was going up against in in Europe might have even been a little bit better at times than what you're seeing in summer league, just because it's disorganized. I mean, teams haven't played together. It's a lot of one on one. It's a lot of guys trying to show off for scouts, whether it be in the NBA or whether it be the the G League or whether it be scouts that are overseas. So when you're sitting at these games, like you mentioned pulling different athletes and owners and coaches aside, do they recognize you or do you have somebody on the ground, an intern or a producer that has to know these faces and know these names and wrangle these guys for you and Eddie? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a producer at SiriusXM, so you know how it works. Uh, associate. We don't, we don't have to go too far yet, but yeah, I, I know where you're going. Yeah, so, I mean, those guys will, will form the relationships with, like, the PR. So they'll know all 30 teams' PRs and the faces, and they've developed a relationship, touch base with them before we arrived there. So then they go, hey, remember we had a conversation about maybe getting Steve Kerr on. Uh, they'll do that with the Golden State PR, who happens to be the best PR in the business, in addition to the best team. Uh, so they'll set up that conversation. Then there'll be other guys that Eddie, who's a former NBA player, Eddie Johnson, who you mentioned, I co-host the program with. He has a lot of great relationships with people there. Brenton Haywood, I hosted with him a couple of times out there in Vegas as well. That's how we got Mark Cuban and, and Rick Carlisle because he won the championship in Dallas. Then there'll be the guys that I know and I've developed a relationship when I see a CJ McCollum, for example, who I who I know very well and hosted with in, in the early days at Sirius XM where he did a show as a rookie because he wanted to get into broadcasting. I'll pull him aside. I'll call him over. He'll come over over and do the show uh so it's a team effort with the producer my co-host and myself trying to get these guys to come on you've already mentioned a couple of names that you and eddie both interviewed folks can check that out at termini radio just scroll through justin's feed and you'll see familiar faces and names from who they were able to get in contact with at summer league is there an interview that stuck out to you maybe looking back now from either what somebody said or somebody that you were lucky enough to sit down with this year well mark cuban's always the most fun to sit down because he's, he's just so powerful uh and he's so honest i mean he's one of the more powerful voices in the nba he's very honest so he'll give you an answer to uh to whatever you're looking for without mincing words not afraid to state what's on his mind uh he surprised me a little bit when he said that all uh, they could get 20 of the 30 required votes to to uh, go to the one through 16 format for the uh for the playoff system because you would think the eastern conference fans or uh, owners wouldn't want that system because the eastern conference is so much weaker 
but he said that he thinks because of the good of the game, uh, the owners would eventually vote for it and, and pass it. So that was an interview that stuck out and a quote that stuck out. Uh, we sat down with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, I think he's the greatest player in the history of the sport ahead of LeBron and, uh, and, and Michael and Magic and Bird and Russell and et cetera, Wilt. Uh, so that's always fun to sit down with Kareem in person. Uh, and then we were able to interview Ty Lue, like I said, right after his conversation with Luke Walton. He said something that stuck out and I'm surprised he didn't pick up some steam nationally with a quote is he said that uh, they were going to talk to Kevin Love and if Love wanted to be traded, they'd do their best to trade him and trade him to a winning organization. That's a quote that wasn't even picked up. Uh, and it's the complete opposite of what Colby Altman, their GM, said, where he said that they're going to keep Love. Uh, so I was shocked that that didn't uh, get a little bit more national exposure. But those three interviews out of all of them kind of stuck out. Now, could I argue with you that maybe that interview did get picked up nationally and you just weren't aware of it, much like when your Bruce Bowen interview went a little national with his comments on Kawhi, something that you weren't really recognized for or knew about. What, what gives with that? Isn't that part of the audiogram culture now? You get a great quote, and then you're able to follow the success afterward. What happened with yeah, Kawhi I'm and Bruce Bowen? The Bruce Bowen one blew up. Uh, that one was all over like the front page of ESPN, all over the ESPN radio, all the different national uh, outlets. And that was a heated exchange. And I knew immediately after doing that interview uh, that it would pick up steam. But did I know it was going to be on the front page of ESPN as a top story the day after the draft? No, but uh, it's always neat when you see something like that. So can I ask, maybe at the end, we can get you to give a hot take. I can make one of those audiograms now as an associate producer. Perhaps we can get to the front page again. You might have to be a little outlandish, but maybe we can pick up some steam as we go and get a little bit more fame for something that you came up with. But I never, I just got to interrupt you for a second. I, I think hot take is the most disgusting word in our business. Uh, I can't stand when I see people use it. Uh, and if you say it in reference to me, I'll fight back on it because I don't give a hot take. I give my God darn opinion. So uh, like I'm never saying something for a reaction. I'm never saying, so of course you want people to respond to what you're saying, but I never say it if I don't believe it. So anything you hear me say is, is something that I believe. Now my phrasing into the way that might elicit a reaction Absolutely, but I'm not saying it just to say. We could also make this into an audiogram in itself. Your hot take against hot takes. That'd work. Again, it's not a hot take against hot takes. <laughs> it's a take against hot takes. Just a regular take against hot takes. My opinion on hot takes. Don't like it. When it comes to your interview process, to peel back the curtain a little bit for the listeners that might not be able to keep track as well as others. I always enjoy your interviews because the follow-up questions come quickly and they're always incredibly relevant, which is what happened in the example of Bruce Bowen to get him to have some comments about Kawhi. But it always seems like you're ready to go with a comeback and, and some people have to prepare and write things down and they might miss the opportunity to be able to fire back. How natural is that for you now in a situation where you're interviewing Dr. J and other might be thinking, oh my God, I'm entering Dr. J. And you're just thinking, well, he just said this. Let me quickly fire back with that. Yeah, to, to be honest with you, the listening part has always been an issue with me because I've always found myself to be a talker. And in order to be a great interviewer, you've got to be a listener. And that's a that's a skill I developed over time, and I'm still trying to get used to. And yeah, we, we hit pay dirt there with Bruce Bowen because he said a bunch of things that said, wait, wait a second, did he really say that? And you follow up and you take like something that he said and you try and dig a little deeper. Sometimes it makes it a little bit difficult because you're sitting there with the co-host and the co-host might want to you know interrupt, take the conversation into a different direction. So Eddie was very good that 
night with Bowen and allowing me to run with it and continue to ask three or four follow-up questions which led to, uh, you know, the juicy answers. Uh, in regards to, like, going, oh, my God, I'm interviewing Dr. J, uh, for some reason that's not been a challenge. And I'm saying I've had challenges. Like, listening was always a challenge for me and something that it took time to, to develop a skill. As far as, like, being intimidated by by a guest, I mean, it's just never something that, uh, that I had an issue with, uh, no matter who it was. And maybe it, it dates back to the first interview, the first major interview. I, I shouldn't say first, but contentious one. Sirius XM gives me my first opportunity to cover an NBA uh, All-Star game. It's the first big assignment they sent me on. They gave me about a week's notice. I went down to Orlando. I'm interviewing the commissioner of the NBA, David Stern. I asked him a softball question just to get things rolling. And this is me one-on-one without a co-host. It's like, you know, 28, 29-year-old Justin Termini. I sit there. I ask him a question, and he fires back, and he goes, I thought you were going to ask me difficult questions. So then I go, oh, my God, this is not going to be easy. So I asked him a difficult question. He didn't like it. He got contentious with me. I fired back, and it was a very uh, – you know, intense interview. I had to be on my toes. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't nervous there. So I haven't been nervous since, whether it's Larry Bird, the guy I grew up idolizing, whether it's Magic Johnson, LeBron James, et cetera, all big interviews, the commissioner and Adam Silver. Uh, so that that's never been an issue. And if you find yourself in that spot, you know, you're just never going to be, you, you better get over that early because if you find yourself intimidated by, uh, you know, somebody you're interviewing, you're never going to be able to do the job appropriately. That includes supermodels. Days when you and Patrick used to host your own show together and he had some of the most beautiful women in the world come in the studio. No pressure. No pressure at all. And that's we, that can only I know that's a, that's a good point. Like if you put a mic in front of me, I can talk <laughs> to anybody. If you ask me to like hold the conversation without the microphone there, I'm probably tripping all over my tongue if I'm trying to talk to some of these women. But that's a good idea. I should bring the microphone out when I go to some of these bars and uh, I'm sure I would have no issue talking to these females. The problem is you take away the microphone, it's an absolute disaster at times. Well, well, that's a good man on the street, and if you need a platform for that, I'll find one for you for this five-day-a-week show that I have to put together. We can do it on Thursdays or Fridays, Man on the Street with Justin Termini, out with women at the bar, and we'll see how you do. Fans can rate the performance. I think it could only help. It's better than dating apps and everything else that's going on. Hands-on experience with actual listeners. We could talk about that off-air. So I do have to ask, Noah Kozlov put out a video of your co-host, Eddie Johnson, at the free-throw line during Summer League. How would you rate that performance? Uh, Eddie was pathetic. Uh, I mean, he went, uh, I think he made like three shots. I don't know how many took. He front-rimmed a couple. Uh, they asked him to do it the NBA, asked him to participate in this event. It was funny because uh, Eddie here was nervous. I mean, Eddie, who's so accomplished, ended up losing to Brevin Knight, who is not nearly the player that Eddie is. And Eddie claims, well, you know what? Brevin's younger than me. Brevin coaches an AAU team, so he's playing a lot. He's got a ball in his hand. I don't, etc. So a lot of excuses there from Eddie. He was very disappointed in his performance. And I haven't let, uh, I haven't let him hear the end of it since. Hopefully he keeps it that way, though, and, and maybe doesn't challenge you to that, because if that gets enough steam, you'll have to go up against Eddie Johnson, and I guess if he's not coming off the bench, though, you might have a decent chance. You'd have to work that yeah. out and, and practice a little bit, and we can see if, if that Well, he'd happen. be nervous. I'd have nothing to lose. Nobody <laughs> would expect me to win. Everybody expect one of the great scorers off the bench in NBA history to win, so the pressure would be squarely on his shoulder. Can you give the listeners an idea of the hours that you go through in Las Vegas for the summer league? They might think you have a lot of free time to enjoy yourself in Vegas, but I think they would be surprised to know that there actually isn't enough time for that. 
Yeah, I mean, some of the guys are able to do it uh, and balance, like, you know, the work life with the party life. I can't do it uh, for some reason, even at the age of 37. Uh, my body seems to have slowed down a little bit. I mean, you do have you do have your fun where you will go out to eat it uh, at night and get a nice meal. And so it'll be a steak dinner, a nice Italian dinner. Uh, that's the great thing about Vegas is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of nice places to eat out there on the company's dime. Uh, but in regards to like going out and spending like, you know, nights partying to like two or three a.m. and enjoying some of the uh things that got the reputation you know gave vegas the sin city reputation i mean that's not stuff that you're doing when when you got work the next day because you're sitting at the gym for you know hours waiting to interview guys uh you're trying to read up on, on the news that's happening around the uh around the league you got to host shows for four or five hours a day uh in addition to you know doing the interviews so you want to be prepped uh it's an important time of the year to make sure that you don't miss any if you're sitting down with Mark Cuban, you got to make sure that you ask all the important questions. You can't afford to miss something. If you're sitting down with Ty Lue, you can't go, all right, you know what? I forgot to ask about LeBron James or Kevin Love because I was intoxicated from the night before and out partying. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're long hours. I'm always sleep deprived by the time I got home. For example, I got home about four nights ago. The first three nights since I got back, I slept 12 hours a day just to catch up. We mentioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming on with you and Eddie, and it's a fascinating conversation in general with Kareem, but even more now with the Lakers signing LeBron James for, surprisingly, a four-year contract. We know the three years and what he can do after that, but this is the first time we've seen him give a little bit of longevity when it comes to a contract and at least say, I'll give you X amount of years, don't worry about it, and nothing will come from after that. Kareem, we know, is, is a legend as a Laker and, and could add his opinion on how the Lakers might perform this year. He's looking at 50 wins and doesn't really expect them to do much unless they add at least one more main player. But I'll ask to start what your thoughts were when LeBron James decided to become a Los Angeles Laker. This has been rumors for years now that he was eventually going to take his talents to L.A., but nobody was sure when he was going to make that happen or who would have to come along with him. He made it happen himself pretty early in the free agency goings-on, and the steam for that move was kind of withered away when it came down to Boogie Cousins leaving and Kawhi, and the summer of LeBron didn't last as long as many people thought. But your first impressions of him making the leap and deciding to become a Laker now. Yeah, I mean, we know that it wasn't about winning. Winning was not the first thing here. It was about business. It was about lifestyle and family. And then it was about winning third or fourth. Uh, however, uh, I will say my initial reaction to it uh, was one of sadness for those people of Cleveland because, uh, you know, everybody's happy he's going to the Lakers. I think that's good for the uh, the NBA. I mean, it's a marquee franchise, the marquee franchise now with the marquee player in, in NBA history as far as, like, you know, being one of the top three to seven players in the history of the sport combined with, you know, being the most polarizing, clearly the most polarizing player in the history of the sport. So I think that's a good thing for the league, for ratings, which means it's good for me because I'm hosting an NBA show. Uh, but I do feel bad for the people of Cleveland, especially the kids there, as somebody that grew up in the Boston area. Larry Burke, Kevin McHale, uh, you know, John Havlicek, all those guys, entire career, members of the Boston Celtics. Uh, and you felt like they loved the city uh, as much as you loved the city. You felt they loved the Celtics green as much as you loved the Celtics green. And the people of Cleveland, you know, they don't get a guy to root for for his entire career. That connection, that kid that's got the poster on the wall uh, doesn't get to say, you know, I watched LeBron play his entire career. LeBron, you know, loved the city, loved me, et 
etc. Uh, and, you know, you can do that with Dirk in Dallas. You can do that with Kobe in Los Angeles. You can do it with Tim Duncan in San Antonio. I mentioned the guys in Boston. You can do it with, you know, Magic in, in L.A., etc. Uh, so I feel bad for the little 12-year-old kid who's got to rip the poster off his wall of LeBron James. Is there a large portion of the media from maybe what you've heard, though, that will enjoy not having to go to Cleveland for either the playoffs or the NBA finals, or has that not come up in like bar talk yet? No, I mean, there's, there's people that uh, feel that way around the NBA that like Los Angeles. Who doesn't like Los Angeles? It's warm. I enjoyed the All-Star game in L.A. this past year. I stayed an extra week as a result of where it was located. Uh, I will not do that next year in Charlotte. I'm not happy about the fact that the game is in Charlotte next year. I'd rather be in L.A. Uh, you know, so there are people that feel that way about Cleveland. I'm not one of them. I enjoyed covering the finals in, in Cleveland because it's a great sports town. I think it's one of the five or six best sports town uh, in the country. Uh, you go there, the bars are hopping. It's different than other cities. You get a finals win. And again, that's something LeBron's got to deal with. He did the same thing when he went to Miami. Miami is a plastic city uh, when it comes to the sports and the passion down there uh, that the city holds for their team. Uh, L.A., in some sense, even though they're you know, a historic organization, they've got some passionate fans. There's, there's still a little bit of that plasticness about it. That's not Cleveland. Cleveland's hardcore. Detroit, Philadelphia, Boston. Uh, you know, those are big time sports towns. And, uh, you know, I don't mind going to big time sports, big time sports towns because I like the passionate fan base. Before getting into what the Lakers look like currently and what they'll probably look like come the start of the season, any surprise that Paul George decided to stay with Oklahoma City and not come to the Lakers? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised because everybody had been talking about it. It's his hometown. Uh, you know, he does the Sports Center special, which tells you, hey, I want attention. Then he stays in a place like Oklahoma City to play next to Russell Westbrook when he had the opportunity to go to L.A., play next to the best player in the game of LeBron James, play for his hero growing up in Magic Johnson, play for his hometown, as I mentioned, probably with a better opportunity to win if he went to L.A. than if he stayed in Oklahoma City. So none of it really made sense. Then you start to think a little bit and talk to people. And it's not easy playing next to LeBron. I mean, we saw how it impacted. Kevin Love, his numbers went down. Kyrie Irving wanted out. Isaiah Thomas couldn't handle it. Jay Crowder wanted the way. Uh, if you're a spot-up shooter, it's not the worst place to be playing next to LeBron. But if you're a star, if you're a guy that needs the basketball, uh, then it's not the best place to, to go. And again, you could say the same thing about Russell Westbrook and Paul George chose to stay with him. Uh, but a little bit of surprise, but after you think about it, maybe not as much. It was an interesting 48 hours or so after that move. LeBron shortly announced that he was going to the Lakers, and then people wondered, well, who is going to come with him or who are they going to try to pick up to play around him? And the names were surprising for a lot of people when it came down to it being Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, and then Rajon Rondo. Not exactly going to shoot the lights out on a gym, somewhat villainous in the NBA, at least two of them, and, and one very famous for Shaqed and a Fool, as we know, from our TNT friends. I don't really know what to think about this lineup quite yet without seeing them on the court, obviously, but do you have any thoughts about what this team might look like, especially after hearing GM Rob Palenka and even Magic Johnson say, we're designing this team to beat the Warriors, but to not beat them by going at them with their own game, by trying something different. Is that something possible? Is this going to work in beating the Warriors? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like the approach. Like, for example, it's funny because DeMarcus Cousins ended up going to the Warriors, but I always like that approach to the Pelicans. Like, you're not going to beat them shooting, so you bring in Anthony Davis, you bring in DeMarcus Cousins. They're not going to be able to defend both those guys down in the paint. They're just not big enough. So I kind of like the idea of doing it differently than the Warriors because you're not going to outshoot Golden State. They have three of the top ten shooters in the history of the sport, maybe three of the top five in Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant. So I like going in a different direction a little bit, but it's a different team than we've ever seen LeBron around. Uh, there's saying that he wants to be a less of a playmaker and more of a scorer. Uh, I, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. He wants the ball in his hands. That's what Rondo wants, ball in his hand. Rondo can't shoot. It's juxtaposed to what everybody that's played and had success around LeBron in the past where they're a spot-up shooter. They spread the floor. Lance doesn't spread the floor. JaVale McGee certainly doesn't do that. Uh, so certainly, I've you know, Monzo Ball, who's already there, is not going to spread the floor with his jump shot. Uh, so I'm a little bit interested to see how it pans out. Uh, they're not a team that's going to beat Golden State, let's be frank. They're probably not going to beat Houston. They're probably not going to beat Utah. Probably not going to beat OKC either. Probably around the fourth and the fifth best team in the conference. It seems like this year will almost be like a year in waiting for the Lakers. At least that's how they're leading us to believe at this point that we're forgetting next year is also a huge free agent class, including Kawhi Leonard. But it, it's something that they're leading us to believe more things are going to come, as in this year will be yet another year to just see how things go. Compete, obviously, but we're not expecting an NBA championship is there any pressure on LeBron, or should I say, when will the pressure come for LeBron if they're not winning? If it's after the next season, after this one, when they finally supposedly get that one extra player, that superstar that can play along with him, it seems like there's going to be a timetable for this. I don't think he'll be able to hide in L.A. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the logic is behind throwing, a, throwing away a season when you're 33 uh, years of age, 34 years of age. I mean, you got to win now because time's running out. And here's the other thing. Like, you know, you go to New York, play for the Yankees. Uh, yeah, it's all fun uh, in games when Alex Rodriguez goes, when Roger Clemens goes. You might be an all-time great. you got to perform. And if you don't, they're going to say, what have you done for me? It's the same in L.A. You don't go to L.A. and throw a party. They don't throw parties in L.A. for a free agency sign. Okay? You don't celebrate, hey, this guy signed. You celebrate wins. You celebrate championship banners. Shaq won. Kobe won. Uh, Magic won. Kareem won. I mean, those guys won five. Both those guys, Kareem and, and Magic. Shaq won three there. Kobe won five there. Jerry West won one. Uh, Wilt won one. You got to win if you go to LA and you're a member of the Lakers and want a statue outside of Elgin Baylor, who didn't. But outside of that, you got to win. So LeBron's got to win, or, you know, they're going to get on his case out there. When it comes to Kawhi Leonard, the summer of Kawhi really took the thunder away from LeBron since he signed so quickly. Do you have a gut feeling on where he might go? There's rumors now that he's going to play with Team USA next week, which Greg Popovich will be the coach of. Maybe they're working things out. Maybe he'll stick it out with the Spurs. What do you think ends up happening, at least for this season, with Kawhi Leonard? I mean, they got to trade. They can't risk losing them for nothing. Or they're in a spot where, uh, you know, where in San Antonio, they're up for 15, 20. I don't think they understand how difficult it is to get a player of Kawhi's caliber, of Duncan's, of Robinson's, just because they've had 30-plus years of having one of those guys in the roster. That doesn't happen often. Many teams have, during, you know, since Robinson came into the league in the 80s, all the way up until Kawhi, many teams have had not one player like that in 30 years. Many organizations, they've had three ongoing from Robinson to Duncan to Kawhi. I don't think they understand how difficult it is to get one of these guys. If they don't make a move with him in an effort to acquire some young players, some young pieces, some draft picks that they can eventually turn into Kawhi, they're in trouble. Uh, and they're in abyss once again. I mean, they're not a major market. They had trouble getting guys going there 
here when they were successful. They're not L.A. They're not, you know, even New York. I mean, look at New York. New York is a major market. Everybody wants to play there, yet nobody goes there. They can't win. Uh, it makes it that much more difficult if you're San Antonio. Popovich, who's done a great job down there, doesn't have much time left. So they got to turn this stuff into some pieces. I mean, the team with the most pieces to give up is Boston. But Kawhi's not going to stay there long term because he cares more about going out to L.A. than he does winning. He cared about winning mostly. Then he go to Boston and you get Jalen Brown. You get, you know, two or three draft picks that they own from Memphis and the Clippers and Sacramento over the next couple of years. And off and away you go uh, with Kawhi and you get a big package in San Antonio. He doesn't want to go there. Maybe he goes to Philadelphia. They probably get the next best offer here if they give up faults, uh, even though we don't know what he's going to be. Uh, Sarge could be involved in that. Then they got the Lakers who aren't going to give up much because they know eventually by a free agency, they're most likely going to get him. Uh, you know, if they decide to give up Brandon Ingram, fine. Then you take Kawhi, Kyle Kuzma, uh, you know, a draft pick or two. Maybe Josh Hart, who's looked great here in Summer League, helps you get him. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I know he's going to be dealt somewhere. Maybe Toronto looks like the front runner now if they give up to Rosen. I don't think that'd be the best move for San Antonio because he's a guy that's, you know, not 21, 22. He's got a short shelf life. He's a mid-range jump shooter, doesn't play the style of today's game. If you pair him up with LaMarcus Aldridge, another guy that makes his money uh, in the mid-range game, uh, you know, that's... It's not best analytically to win in today's sport. So he's going to go somewhere. Don't know where it is, uh, but it'll certainly be dealt, uh, I would say, by, uh, you know, by the trade deadline, definitely. But it would make more sense for San Antonio to get a bigger package if they did it before the season. L.A. fans were smiling in getting LeBron, but I think fans of teams in the East were smiling larger because LeBron was finally leaving, and the guarantee of not making the finals coming out of the Eastern Conference is something that I'm sure fans are thrilled about. Is there a team or teams you think are most excited for this opportunity to reign in the East now that they don't have to worry about, well, they potentially don't have to worry about the Cleveland Cavaliers? Well, I mean, Toronto craps the better every time they see LeBron and plays in fear whenever they see him. Uh, should be happy he's gone, but they got rid of Dwayne Casey, uh, and I'm not sure that they're ready to win now. I mean, they've missed their window, in my estimation, the last three or four years. Philadelphia should be happy, but they've had a garbage offseason where they haven't added the star that they said they desperately needed. Uh, they uh, lost Bellinelli. They lost uh, Ilyasova. Uh, they thought they had Belitsa signed, but he just decided today to stay overseas. That's a big loss. Uh, and Boston's the team that I think should be the happiest because they're clearly the favorite. They went to game seven last year with a rookie in Tatum is arguably their best player. And they're also going to get Jalen Brown more experienced. Terry Rozier's got some confidence and you're getting uh, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back who are two all-stars. So Boston is the team to beat in the Eastern Conference right now. With the Warriors making the DeMarcus cousin move, it's like another year now where fans just immediately think, and they're probably not wrong, that it will be another year that the Golden State Warriors win a championship without something drastic happening either to them or to another team making a major move to maybe compete with them, though I don't know what that move would be. Is there anything we could get excited for, at least maybe in the early going, if that's a team or just the league in general, something we can maybe at least set our clocks to to put the Warriors' dominance aside for a second and just enjoy the league? Yeah, I mean, you're going to understand that Golden State's going to win the title unless they suffer a major injury. And even if they suffer a major injury, if Durant goes down, they could still win. They'd still be the favorite. And uh, I think Houston got even worse this year, while Golden State got better with Cousins and Jonas Durepko and a couple of other pieces. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a foregone conclusion. The other stuff that you get excited about, I mean, is, uh, you know, the rookie of the year race where you got some good rookies. The MVP race, who wins that? What does LeBron do out in, uh, out in L.A.? Does Jason Tatum take the next? 
next step. Uh, what does Simmons and Envy look like, uh, you know, in their second season, fully healthy? Those are the things you look for. Uh, and again, I, I think, you know, Russell Westbrook, can he average a triple double again? That's the type of stuff that you keep your eye on because certainly, uh, and, you know, and it's led to excitement. This past year, ratings were sky high, even though there'll be you know, we knew Golden State was going to win. Uh, so there's other stuff you got to find because if you're just, you know, banking on who's going to win the championship, uh, then you might as well not watch the season. My last talking point was assuredly a talking point at Summer League and will probably be a talking point until there is something to rectify the situation or a decision is made. And that's the one and done rule and Adam Silver's thoughts on it. And it seems like he's leaning toward going back to how things used to be where high school players can enter the NBA draft and aren't obligated to go to college for one year to play. There's arguments that maybe they should have to go for two years. There's decisions about, well, maybe they should have to go play overseas for a year, like some players do now already. What are your thoughts on what he may decide to do or what the best decision could be for the one-and-done conundrum in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, from what you're hearing from him, what the consensus is around the way uh, is they want it ended. And it's just more because of the corruption of college. It's just not, uh, it's not having a good effect on the college game. And I'm with, you know, I'm with these guys uh, like Jalen Brown. And listen, you want to waste a pick on an 18-year-old and it doesn't pan out? That's on the guy that selected him. Uh, if you're good enough for the draft, enter the draft. You should have the right to, uh, to make your living. Now, if it was up to me, perfect world, I would say, hey, three years, you got to stay in college. Uh, that would uh, help you get the skills as both a player and as a, as a human being. Uh, it would help market you at the college level, like Christian Leitner was, where he was already known once he got into the NBA and he was a star then, you know, sort of like Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was a star in the NFL just based off what he did in college. That helps promote the league. It helps promote him. It's good for the college game, but that's not going to happen three years, so it might as well be none. I think that's the biggest downside I can think of when it comes to college hoops. The excitement of the tournament is one thing. It's harder now, though, to fall in love with players on your favorite team just because they come and go so quickly now. It's a tradition that has started to really take force where players want to go one year and then get the money when they can and go to the NBA, and I can't necessarily blame them. The money in college that they are getting under the table is not quite as good as what they'll make in the NBA, but I do think it's something that will need to be looked at and, and something that I don't think Adam Silver is too afraid to dive into because thankfully what we've seen from him since he's taken over has been being ahead of the curve when it comes to most things in the sport. And I'm sure you can always hear the rumblings from fans at Summer League, from fans in general. He's still doing a pretty good job. Yeah, uh, commissioner's doing a great job. So there's really nothing to complain about if you're an NBA fan. I don't blame, you know, the super team era on him. I blame it on Michelle Roberts. You know, she's the head of the Players Association. He did a crap job uh, not accepting cap smoothing. And, uh, you know, and Kevin Durant, nobody foresaw Kevin Durant. Uh, not competing and going to Golden State, taking the easy way out, creating, uh, you know, what is probably the greatest team of all time uh, based on his decision-making. Nobody saw that. That's not the commissioner's fault. That's on Durant. That's on Michelle Roberts. Is there anything that could be done to that in the future when it comes to what players are able to do? Now it, it's gotten to the point where they can pretty much pick and choose where they want to play and pick and choose where they want to go for the most money, which is fine. It's, it's not something that is a detriment. It just does create these super teams and this culture now where guys can play with their friends, guys can go to the winning team, and it leaves the other teams that aren't able to do so in a lurch. Do you foresee... Anything that can change with that, or is that just sort of where we are now in the league? 
I mean, you heard Commissioner bring up the hard cap, uh, and I don't think a hard cap's going to be instituted because that would uh, result in a work stoppage of significant time. There's no way the Players Association will go for that. Uh, but I can tell you that the owners are ticked off outside of Golden State. You think these owners are happy? They have no shot of competing. Uh, they are not. So uh, that's who the commissioner works for, and I could see him taking some type of uh, uh, look at this. Commissioner's already said that he's got to look at it a little bit here and create some type of uh, do a better job in creating parity. He doesn't want to stop Golden State from doing their best to compete but he's got to do something and that's a dictate from you know that's not silver necessarily speaking that's the other 29 owners outside of golden state speaking so i think something will be done we had two submitted questions to get you out here on shockingly on twitter at termini radio t-e-r-m-i-n-e radio and that'll be promoted throughout the show when you and i aren't talking so hopefully you'll gain one or two followers from my five or six listeners bubba fell asks about rules. There hasn't really been too much news in the NBA regarding rule changes like in other sports and leagues, such as the NFL and the MLB. Are there any we might see next season or any that we might see in the future? Well, I, th- I think it's a little bit too late for uh, next season, but a couple of things. One, you mentioned the age limit, which could get changed. They're thinking probably as soon as 2022. Uh, the other two things that stick out are things that they tested out at Summer League, which is the coach's challenge, uh, much like you see in the NFL, although it won't be done via Challenge 5 necessarily. Final two minutes overtime, you have a coach's challenge, put the onus on them instead of the officials. And the other thing you saw uh, them experiment with uh, was the reset of the shot clock international style. So after a missed shot on the offensive end, it hits the rim. Offensive team gets the rebound. Instead of the shot clock going back to 24 seconds, it goes to 14 as a way to uh, force the team to get into a uh, possession quicker uh, and you know speed up the tempo of the game leads to probably more scoring. And on demand, Dan wants to know how you truly feel about going on the morning men, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Channel 82, 6 to 10 Eastern Time, just to have Mike attempt to make an ass out of you on air, though we could tease that and say, perhaps you're going to be able to return the favor pretty soon. Yeah, I'm going to be hosting uh, along with Babchick, so it's good timing here to preview that. Uh, Babchick and myself, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Morning Men this upcoming Friday. Uh, so Evan is out. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, blessed with the opportunity to fill in for Evan. So it'll be Babchick and I, the two biggest, uh, you know, bags of dirt. Uh, we are not good people, uh, and we will uh, be hosting together. So, and I, I would say that it's serious. There are no two bigger low lifes than him and I. Uh, we share that bond, and now we get to, to do four hours together. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's an interesting crossroads because you could take the road of taking the five bad minutes of MBA that Evan does and get to talk about that. Or you could take the other path and talk to Mike Babchick about dating models and his whack shack and different things along those lines. It's a big decision to make leading to Friday. No, I, I think the, uh, uh, the model stuff, the whack shack is the direction we're going to go. I mean, I talk about the NBA all the time. We did it today for, uh, what, a half hour, 40 minutes. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting into some of that other stuff with Patrick. He leads a far more entertaining life than I. I as well. Give in to the peer pressure and that won't be a problem. So I guess the last thing to ask is, aside from catching the end of the MLB All-Star game, what's up for the rest of the summer? Summer league's over. There's not 
going to be a ton of stuff going on as far as the NBA is concerned until they start preseason and that gets kicked off. What does Justin Termini do hitting in the next month and a half or so? Well, he'll work for about another month, so we'll see if he can squeeze out some more NBA talk. And again, there's always something happening. Even last year on vacation, I had the Kyrie saga unfolded when I was away. Uh, this year, it looks like we're going to have a situation unfold here with Kawhi. I wouldn't be shocked if something happened with Jimmy Butler as well, because he doesn't appear happy in Minnesota. they got to get out ahead of the curve, make a deal perhaps with him. Uh, but we're going to take a vacation uh, four weeks. i got four weeks off over the course of uh, you know mid-August to uh, through the end of September. So four weeks off. I usually take three weeks off at a time, then another week. Uh, we're going to find a beach somewhere, probably all-inclusive, so I get some alcohol, uh, I get some free food, I get to lay on the beach, get a tan, look at the ladies, uh, or we might go overseas to Europe and uh, and spend some time, you know, uh, you know, walking around Paris or Ireland or, you know, Rome. Not sure, but it's in the planning stages now. Excellent. A well-deserved break, as always, around this time of year. And thank you again for jumping on the show and giving your wisdom to not only me, but the listeners as well for what we have going on in the NBA, though it was pro bono work. I think you did a good enough job. And as I mentioned, hopefully there will be some compensation on my end to make us equal in the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a beer. So I'm going to be compensated with alcohol. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk to you in, what, eight or nine months or so in the NBA season, I'm sure. That sounds good. The price might go up, though. My star is rising, so uh, by then it might be a beer and a shot. You're right. You keep going viral like this. I'll have to keep upping the ante, but I'm fine doing that if it makes you successful as well. I'll make it work. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks again to Justin for jumping on the show. We'll close out the show with another installment of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris. Joe and I have been teammates on the basketball court, sports editors for our college newspaper that is no longer in literal print, and hosts for the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show, which was once found on 99.5 WUSR Scranton and the Royal Television Network. Joe usually sees more movies in a year than the 52 weeks within it to hold the reins here, but don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films just with a better understanding of what will be in store if you do so. Along with Joe's final rating of the film compared to something or someone in the sports world. This week, Joe will break down The First Purge, which Rotten Tomatoes describes, Behind every tradition lies a revolution. Next Independence Day, witness the rise of our country's 12 hours of annual lawlessness. Welcome to the movement that began as a simple experiment. The First Purge. To push the crime rate below 1% for the rest of the year, the new founding fathers of America test a sociological theory that vents aggression for one night in one isolated community. But when the violence of oppressors meets the rage of the marginalized, the contagion will explode from the trial city borders and spread across the nation. You can find Joe on Twitter at DukeMish, that's D-U-K-E-M-I-C-H. You can also read his movie reviews, previews, and ratings at cupofdashjoe.com. Again, that's cupofdash, or hyphen, or whatever you'd like to call it, joe.com. Get your popcorn ready. Here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris. Yeah! Woo! What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Burris, and this is Five Minutes in the Film Room. When it was announced that a fourth Purge movie would be released this summer, I was a little disappointed. 
I had enough of the franchise after the third installment, The Purge Election Year. From the girl who purges because she wants a candy bar, to a guy suggesting to a presidential candidate that she'll win the election by taking Florida. The Purge Election Year was an absolute mess. Of course she should win Florida. She knows that. Every presidential candidate knows that. It's not some revelation. But anyway, this time, they took it back to the first purge. Again, I thought this franchise had overstayed its welcome. The concept is fascinating. For 12 hours, all crime is legal. There's a serious way to take that concept, an over-the-top violent way, and a satirical way. None of the three understand what movie they're trying to be. The Purge is essentially a home invasion movie. So all crime is legal and they decide to limit the movie to the events of a house. Wrong move. The Purge Anarchy course corrects, opening the Purge up to the city streets. It makes it more action-packed and Frank Grillo is a solid actor who is added to the cast. But it tries to have a serious take as well, as they throw in at the end that the government has been sending people into the Purge to make sure enough people were killed, especially poor centers of the city. It tries to combine those two things, and in the end, it's too much. The Purge election year, as I said, is just a mess. Then, the first Purge trailer came out, and I wondered how the hell they roped Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei into this. But I went to see it, mostly because I'm a completionist. And let me tell you, friends, I couldn't have been more wrong. Let's go to the tape. The acting is nothing special, but the actors are a bunch of nobodies, except for Marissa Tomei. The important thing is you have to care about the characters, and that is accomplished. So as far as the acting is concerned, it works. There's this one guy named Skeletor who's just absurd, but other than that, I wasn't disappointed. I think what aids that is the movie decides to make the minorities the focal point of the film. And that should be the focus. That's who these movies are really about. What was weird is that The First Purge is a scaled-back movie. The First Purge was apparently an experiment that took place only on Staten Island. So when it begins, people aren't purging. The citizens are actually having purge parties. So the government pushes mercenaries into Staten Island to make it work. This all makes sense to me. Human nature wouldn't jump to everybody wanting to kill each other. But again, it's weird. Because this should have been the first movie in the franchise. It's odd for a franchise to scale back after it ramped up. Also, we already know the government pushes the purge to work. We already know what its purpose is. This just would have worked better as the beginning story. Essentially, it's like Fear the Walking Dead. We already know how it goes. Despite the poor timing, it's a good story. More so the story I was looking for. Contained, but still going to the streets. Showing how the poor community has to handle the purge. Showing how much the government relies on the purge. You actually care about the people. It also hits on the satire, even throwing in a pretty blatant Donald Trump reference. A funny one, though. The thing that surprised me most was the filmmaking. The action sequences are actually pretty good with some limited cuts. I really thought they were well done, and I didn't expect that. There were a few jump scares that were kind of dumb, though. I didn't like that the movie wastes Marissa Tomei. Also, one of the main characters turns into Jason Bourne really out of nowhere. It makes for some cool action sequences, so I can't complain too much, but it just doesn't make sense. The bottom line, I don't want to lead you astray and say this is a great movie. It's not. It's still flawed like most of the Purge franchise. But I've always thought with a great premise, the Purge never really tapped into its full potential. After four movies, I feel as though they found their first movie. And it's a good movie. If you're a fan of the violence, there's not a ton. It gets there, but it's a slow burn. 
I want to say this solid entry into the franchise is too little too late, but all the movies have made increasingly more money and the production budget is very low. We'll see where the first Purge ends up at the end of its run, but it's already made plenty to warrant another sequel. We may get a fifth, sixth, seventh, maybe even eight, like how many championships LeBron James promised the Heat. But at least if or when we get that fifth Purge movie, I'll be intrigued. I'll compare the first Purge to Drew Brees. Remember the start of Brees' career when he wasn't living up to his potential with the Chargers? Well, in his fourth season, he found his rhythm with a 104.8 quarterback rating, 3,159 yards passing, and 27 touchdowns against just seven interceptions. They are nowhere near the numbers he has put up with the Saints, but no one would have predicted the quarterback he'd become. The point is, he had to find his footing somewhere, just like the Purge. Sexy. Check! Uh, check please that's going to do it for The Bridge you can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com that's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E you can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle at London Bridge you can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast there you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Wednesday night and also please be sure to subscribe rate and review you can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And can listen to a brand new show on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by searching for Sports Radio America on TuneIn. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dive into Major League Baseball, dabble in the NBA, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Sports.